Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today is Sunday, April 30th, 2017, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. I am Evan Valenti. And we're coming to you the morning of the first game of the Eastern Conference semifinals, round two of the playoffs, as Boston plays host to the Washington Wizards in the best of seven series. Again, that starts today, this afternoon, one o'clock at the TD Garden on ABC. Should be a terrific series between two teams that are familiar with each other. Again, they, they split the, the season series two games apiece. Boston won two games, the TD Garden. Washington won two games in their building, which sort of translates well for Boston, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but two teams that have had some on-court and off-the-court kind of dust-ups. Remember the last game they played at the TD Garden, Brandon Jennings, Terry Rozier got into it a little bit, right? You also had the funeral game in Washington. Of course, revved up some some uh, talking heads in Boston, of course. Uh, Washington won that game. So this is going to be a series between two teams that, frankly, just don't like each other. Episode 207 is brought to you by Blue Apron. Go to blueapron.com backslash Celtics Beat for three free meals with free shipping. That's free food delivered to your door for free. It doesn't get any better than that. You know, but before, before we look into this series against the Wizards, because we're going to take a look at that in a second, you just got to kind of put a bow on the series against Chicago and Boston winning that series four games to two. Uh, it, and it didn't go probably as, as we all would thought, right? Like I think I had, I had something in six, but I had to see them losing two games at home, right? And then rattling off four wins in a row with three of them becoming on the road in Chicago. I didn't see that coming. I really didn't because look. Boston going into this series wasn't playing well. I, I think Larry has talked about it ad nauseum, I think, on this last couple of pods leading up to the playoffs, that Boston wasn't playing their best basketball heading into the final games of the season. You had, of course, the blowout against Cleveland and a couple of games, you know, a game against Milwaukee here and there that didn't go the Celtics way. But now you watch them and they're still not even really clicking. And that's kind of the weird thing as we head into this series of Washington. There are still things that need to be addressed, need to be fixed. Right. And even despite the fact that Isaiah Thomas and again, a guy that is playing unbelievable basketball, considering the situation, a guy that is struggling from the field. I mean, he hasn't shot the ball well in what seems like three games and and three games for Isaiah feels like an eternity because Isaiah is such a good offensive player. But Boston got key contributions from other guys, made some key adjustments in that series against Chicago. Going small was one. In implementing that zone defense when Isaiah was in the game, finding ways to hide him in different ways on defense. That's another one. Um, but Boston, again, 
because they're a more talented team with a better head coach, they overcame the, the, the Chicago Bulls and, and beat them um, the last four games with, uh, basically the same way. And Chicago had no counter because they're, they're just their roster was flawed. I mean, when you have four point guards on your roster, but you only really have one, you have a real problem. It's like that saying in football, right? If you have two quarterbacks on the team, do you really have one, right? If you play two quarterbacks, do you really have one? It's the same exact thing. If you play four different point guards and you trot them all out there, well, three of them really for Chicago, do you really have a point guard? Yeah, didn't think so. So Boston able to overcome some deficiencies in that series with the Chicago. Again, the rebounding margin was one of the bigger ones. It's been a problem for Boston all season. Boston overcomes that, um, wins four games in a row, three of them on the road to get ready for this series against the Wizards. And again, the Wizards present their own problems, right? The Wizards, of course, have one of the deadliest backcourts on this side of the Mississippi. Bradley Beal, John Waller, two guys that can kill you possession by possession by possession. And John Wall coming up with a spectacular performance in the last game against the Atlanta Hawks. He had 40-plus in that game. He was ridiculous. 42 points, 8 assists, 2 blocks. Unbelievable uh, performance from John Wall, who is a matchup nightmare in his own right. And, and it is just so fun to watch because he's so quick with the ball in his hand. And, and, and when he gets it going from the field, when he can really, when his jump shot is falling, he's almost an impossible guard. Bradley Beal, silky smooth shooting guard. This is going to be a tough matchup for Boston. But what's interesting about Boston is, is they have so many guys they can throw at a John Wall and a Brad Beal. Avery Bradley just got done. Handing Jimmy Butler his lunch every single game. Okay. Marcus Smart, of course, is one of the better defenders in the league. Jay Crowder is a guy that can cause a little bit of havoc. And I don't mean to put Terry Rozier in the same, you know, level as these guys, but Terry Rozier in spurts can play good defensive minutes, right? They have guys that they can throw at Washington. And what's going to be really interesting is if Isaiah Thomas still has these shooting slumps, how does Boston react? Can they still overcome that because that's going to be a problem if Boston can't overcome Isaiah maybe have another bad shooting night you know that's then they're going to lose this series look and the the small ball thing that we saw against Chicago for a couple of games it's going to be even more prevalent here I think in in a series against Washington because I think when push comes to shove you're going to put your best lineup out there Boston's best lineup revolves around the going small it's Isaiah it's Avery Bradley it's Marcus Smart it's Jay Crowder and it's Al Horford going to be very interesting to see how that goes. And, you know, the, the real key for me, I think, is going to be the play of the bench. And you look at both bench units. I like the way that Boston has kind of set things up. Because, again, Marcus Smart plays starters minutes. Kelly Olenek, for once in his life, I think was aggressive for a couple of games. Like, I thought in Game 5, he was pretty instrumental to Boston winning that game. Game 6, he played pretty well. Uh, those two guys, plus a Gerald Green, who's got a little more comfortable. Um, that's that that's going to be huge for Boston going into the series. Because I look at Washington, and I look at the guys that they bring off the bench. It, I mean, Bogdanovich is a terrific shooter. But I think he really only gives you that off the bench. Brandon Jennings can get hot, but, I mean, it's been a while since Brandon Jennings had a heat check game. And Kelly Oubre, who I've liked, I liked him a lot at Kansas. I thought he fit in well there. I like the fact that he went to a team in Washington late in the middle round of the draft, or the first round of the draft. I like his potential, but I don't think he's quite ready yet. I look at Boston's bench a little bit more experience this time of year. And that's kind of crazy to say because Boston is, again, a young team in terms of playoff experience. But, I mean, in comparison, you know, Boston's is is much better. So you look at Washington when Bradley Beal and John Wall aren't on the floor together. 
Boston is going to have to find ways to maximize that time to, to punish Washington when one of the only one of those guys on the floor at the same time or neither of those guys on the floor at the same time. Although I I believe I would hope if I'm if I'm a Washington fan that Scotty Brooks has somehow figured out at this point that uh, those guys need to play a lot. <laughs> okay, those guys need to be one of them has to be on the floor at all times, uh, and both of them have to play a lot. And, you know, and, and they have. I mean, the Wall and Beal together, you know, average about I don't know what thirty five plus minutes a game, maybe even almost 40, depending on how the game's going. So should be interesting as Boston and, and, and Washington get ready for what should be, again, the most entertaining second-round series. All right, so so we're going we're gonna to switch gears here, and we're going to bring in our featured guest of the episode. And now, look, I think we're in a really good spot as NBA fans because I think there are a ton of good smart writers out there in the NBA world, whether they cover a team specifically or they cover the NBA in general. I think we're in a good spot because there are so many great writers, so many great storytellers out there. They give us so much quality information. And I think that everybody out there in terms of like the, the diehard NBA fans, I think we're all smarter people because of some of these people. And this our, our featured guest today, if you were to make like a Pantheon or if you were to make the Mount Rushmore of NBA writers, this guy is going to be on it. He used to cover the the... Lakers for the LA Daily News. He's covered the Knicks for the New York Times. He now is a senior writer over at Bleacher Report. It is the one and the only Howard Beck. We have a lot of basketball stuff to get to, but um, I'm going to get be honest with you here. I, I made a note of this months ago what, during one of the Bleacher Report's Facebook Live events, right? I made the note that you don't like chicken wings, man. <laughs> funny because as you asked that i'm like a stone's throw from a uh, buffalo wild wings here at this uh, airport i'm at uh, <laughs> I, uh, but i will not be stepping foot in there no uh, they have boneless though uh, i heard you come around on boneless uh you know i mean boneless uh, i mean at least at least now you're not having to do so much work but uh yeah chicken wings what's the point it's, it's stupid like uh, i i like chicken i like the barbecue sauce that would be at a wings joint I'm a big barbecue sauce guy. Why do I want to uh, take the trouble of grabbing the least meaty part of the chicken <laughs> and, and, and like, having to stick this whole thing in my mouth just to, like, pull it off the bone and everything? It's too much work. What's the point? Just give me a nice chicken breast with some sauce on it. I'm good to go. It's the same thing at the, in the end, and you don't have to, like, you know, get your hands all goopy and have it be a big mess and all the work involved. That's the worst part of the chicken. What's the point? <laughs> You know, two things going through my mind right now. Number one, people at the airport, if they're like standing around you or sitting around you, probably think you're insane right now, talking and, and they're, breaking. They're running the other direction. Yeah, they're, right, right. But number two, like, so I think there's a time and place for chicken wings, right? Like, so I've always had this thing, this like this little, very small, um, but very big part of like my mantra when it comes to going on like the first date. There are foods you you absolutely have to ignore and stay away from on the first date. Anything with ribs. Anything that like in terms of like longer pastas like spaghetti or linguine or fettuccine oh, yeah. and and chicken wings like because you can't embarrass like it's super embarrassing sometimes to eat chicken wings which is why I'm like on your side a little bit like it is embarrassing sometimes to eat wings because your face is a disaster there's wing bits like all over your hands there's probably some wing sauce on your on your on your stuff but there is I think a time for it like all I'm asking you Howard is to embrace your inner barbarian sometimes and 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 to you know to cut it loose a little bit man let, let me. But let me be clear on this. Okay. If you take me to a ribs joint in, say, Memphis, I'm all in. I'm fine with the mess. I'm fine with the, the, the work of all. But you know what? There's meat on those ribs. There's no friggin' meat in, on that chicken wing. It's pathetic. 
It's a sad little, <laughs> a sad little piece of, of what should be discarded chicken. Yeah. All right. Fair yeah. enough. Fair yeah. enough, Howard. You know, that's all. That's all. I got gotcha. you. Now, all right. You know, I thought it was good. I, I really, I wanted to expand the, the take a little bit because I'm not sure if you had a lot of time for it on, on the, the Facebook Live of it. But now that we've gotten that out of the way, you know, we just got done with the Celtics Bulls series that I think was a little strange. To, and I'm putting it lightly, right? Boston goes down 0-2 and they win four straight, three on the road. It's interesting, though. You have to think about it in this context. What would have happened if the Bulls had a healthy Rondo? Does going small does it does it still work? I I I don't know, but I find it fascinating that you know one of the bigger what ifs of this playoff series, this playoff year, is going to be what would have happened to the Celtics if the Bulls had a healthy Rondo. And it's the strangest sentence, right? Like, yeah. I thought the strangest—I thought the strangest sentence of the season would have been down the stretch when I said, "You know that he could be really dangerous if Dion Waiters gets healthy." Um, I thought that was going to be the strangest thing about the entire NBA season. Then it became, man, the the, the Bulls really miss Rondo. Uh, that became the strangest thing because I mean he barely fit in this year. There they were times that you know he, he was benched, he was shunned. There were, there was talk of a buyout. I mean. You know that he becomes so critical to them, uh, and is a, a huge part of why they go up 2-0, and and you know not just 2-0, 2-0 beating them on their home court. I mean, at that moment, I thought the Celtics were were done. I really did. And if Rondo doesn't get hurt, maybe that's the case. I mean, it's it's a really realistic, um, you know, hypothetical. It's 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 not a stretch at all. And credit to the to the Celtics for rallying, for winning the next four in a row. Um, for overcoming everything they did, obviously in terms of of, of Isaiah Thomas, is, is you know his the, the the tragedy and the grief that he had to work through um, could not have been easy, you know especially for him, but for his teammates too. And you know, look, they look really good right now, but they did beat a, a very flawed Bulls team that did not have its starting point guard. And the fact is, it's not just that they didn't have Rondo; it's that the drop off from him to the point guards that they had as reserves. That that drop off was steep. Oh, it was un- it was yeah. unbelievable. I mean, go watch to. I mean, look at the hook that Hoiberg had with guys like Jerry and Grant and, and Michael Carter Williams. I mean, he's playing a guy in Isaiah Cannon who might line up as a quote unquote point guard, but is probably better suited, especially in that offense, being the off ball guard. I mean, I, I don't really see point guard on their face on, on, on his face. Like, I think that the stat was after game two that the Bulls' point guards in four games had four assists, like, combined in four games? Like, that's just not a winning recipe. No, not at all. And, you know, look, Michael Carter-Williams is barely a rotation player in this league right now. Um, you know, given away by two franchises already. And, you know, uh, Jaron Grant has his moments. He's, you know, he's a backup at best. You know, he's probably best as your fourth guard. And... You know, Cannon, you know, again, another guy who yeah, maybe is a rotation guard. But, you know, these are not guys who should be getting heavy minutes in a critical playoff series. And, you know, that's where the Bulls were. But, again, the Celtics had to win it. They had to pull themselves together. They did. And they're moving on. I still don't think, you know, they're, you know, uh, you know they're certainly not the strongest uh, number one seed we've ever seen. And I think that the, you know, Wizards are going to give them everything they can handle. Um and I, I, you know, I expect Washington in the conference finals, but we'll see. You know, I've been underestimating the Celtics uh, for a while now, so they, they, they may prove me wrong yet again. Well, they're one for one, but it's a very, very, uh, a very, uh, I'll say, an intense and for for Celtics fans, probably a little bit an uneasy one for one than they, they considered it. And we'll, I want to get to the, the whiz in a minute, but the one thing about Boston that really concerns me, 
and it concerned me the last series, and it still concerns me a little bit. But one of the biggest things is, you know, can Boston survive bad Isaiah Thomas shooting nights? And in this series against Chicago, Avery Bradley was spectacular in games five and six. Gerald Green was huge in game four. Al Horford was arguably the best player in the entire series, but I think I'll give that to Bradley. Um, and even Kelly Olynyk off the bench was did, did a couple of things. I feel a little bit better about that, what, the fact that Boston has some guys that can at least say, hey, we, we've done this before, we can do it again. But it's going to be a little bit tougher for Boston to survive Isaiah Thomas nights where he goes one for 10 from three point range where he doesn't have his shot underneath him and, and he's struggling and the only place he can be effective is at the free throw line. I, I still think that's a, a bigger worry, especially with this Washington team that can put up points in bunches. Yeah, look, uh, the Wizards are better constructed with more depth, more length, uh, more versatility, more firepower than the Bulls by far. This, this is a completely different set of circumstances. And the Wizards can score, and they can score a ton. And they're, you know, they've got shooting, which the Bulls didn't have much of. Um, they, you know, they're just a much better built team. And not only do you have to worry about whether or not Isaiah is, is scoring or not, if his shots off, and how that might, you know, just collapse their entire offense. But defensively, you know, we know that Isaiah Thomas is, is the guy that everybody wants to take advantage of. And you know, the the Bulls weren't as well equipped to do that as the Wizards are. They've got, you know, two stars in the backcourt in Wall and Beal who both have size. Um, you know, where are you hiding Isaiah Thomas defensively? You don't want him guarding either of those guys. So now are you hiding him on Otto Porter who's just going to shoot threes over him? Are you hiding him on Markeith Morris? <laughs> on, on, you know, on Gortat? Uh, that would be interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you'd hide Isaiah Thomas in this series. Um, and I just think that that... that uh, that element is, is going to be rather big. So they went to a zone against Chicago and just basically put Isaiah in a corner and said, okay, when they switch this pick and roll, we'll just have you dash in the corner. And we'll figure out ways to cover that up with Marcus and with Bradley and with, with Crowder. Again, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be as easy uh, as, as it was with Chicago because you're right, Howard. I mean, they are significantly better. And I say they, Washington is significantly better at shooting the basketball than Chicago was. I mean, Chicago doesn't really embrace three point shooting and they don't have a lot of great three point shooters. Anyway, meanwhile, you flip it over. Otto Porter had a terrific year from three point range. Bradley Beal is a prolific three point shooter. Bogdanovich off the bench, if they happen to go that route and they find that, you know, match up on there. Bogdanovich is a terrific three point shooter. Jennings can get hot from three point range. I mean, they're a much better suited team. And what's interesting is when you go back and look at some of the regular season games, the one guy that kind of left a little bit out there um, and, and could have killed the Celtics and didn't for some reason is the one of the guys you mentioned and kind of laughed at. Markeith Morris is a guy that if he buried some open shots, it would have been a huge problem for Boston. So you look at some of the adjustments that might get made and you end up with, you know, Isaiah Thomas covering Markeith Morris at some point. Yeah, that's going to be a problem because as soon as that happens, he's going to you know dive into the post and have Isaiah on his hip and basically be, say either follow me or let me score. Either way, I'm going to get points. Yeah, well said. I, and I, I just to me, um, you know, first of all, I, I generally throw out the regular season results. I mean, they, they, you can find a little bit in, but you know, a, a playoff series as we know, teams have a lot more time to scheme to zone in on uh, specific uh, matchups. And to try to exploit certain matchups, um, and I just think that that you know everything you said. I mean, the, the Wizards have an immense amount of, I think, versatility, um, and their bench is, is strong, stronger than it was before the uh, 
before the buyout season and in the trade season when they when they picked up Jennings and Bogdanovich. Um, so they've you know they're they're a sounder team now than they were at the start of the season. And I think Scott Brooks is very underrated. He's done a phenomenal job with them this year. And uh, you know it'll it'll be an interesting series. But I, I do think that Washington has a, a distinct advantage. Flip over to the other side. You have Cleveland. You have Toronto. Two teams that have a lot of high-profile power on it. I mean, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, terrific together. LeBron, obviously, Kyrie, Kevin, Kevin Love. So much there. This Toronto team's a little bit different, and I'm not. It wasn't a shock. I don't think to anybody that follows basketball that they had trouble with Milwaukee. I said a long time ago, um, after I think it was like the second to last week of the season when Milwaukee came into Boston and basically wiped the floor with Boston and played them very tough. Um, that that Boston wanted no part of this Milwaukee team because Giannis in the playoffs could be a, a different monster, right? And and again, they they were a tough test for a very good Toronto team. Toronto moves on. But you look at Toronto and the way they're set up, I, they have a, a lot of firepower in terms of offense. Um, Serge Ibaka has been a nice piece for them. He's really given them some some added energy, uh, whether he comes off the bench or whether he starts. P.J. Tucker uh, gives them a little bit more physicality depending on wh- who they want to put him on, and, and you can switch him on different guys. I know Toronto projects as a better matchup than people expect. But are, are we just are we just going to move on and say, look, this is LeBron's time. Doesn't matter what you put on the floor. LeBron's probably going to get past everybody in the Eastern Conference and, and kind of cakewalk all the way to the finals again. Is this where we're at? No, actually, I don't think so. I really, think that, you know, um, you know, if you look at Cleveland, you know, if you, you look at the sweep and you think, well, okay, they're they're fine. They're back to who they were. But they won that four game series against the Pacers by a total of sixteen points, which I believe was tied for the lowest point differential. Uh, in, in, in games, you know, in, in a um, in, in, in the history of a, of a four-game sweep, so 16 points over four games against a Pacer team that was badly flawed, um, and a couple of those games they were lucky to escape the Cavaliers. So I don't think the problems are solved. I think that the defensive issues that we saw over the last couple of months of the season uh, are still present. They've got time to get healthy, which will certainly help them. But they just don't look right. And against a better team like Toronto, you know, like the Raptors had their moments of, of struggle against the Bucks, but eventually they, they really took command in that series. The Raptors heading into the playoffs, I thought, were the team that had the best personnel to at least try to challenge the Cavaliers. And I've said all along, and I still will say, you know, you're only beating the Cavaliers if, if you have, first of all, you have to have the personnel, but they have to help you. They have to beat themselves. And the Cavaliers entered the postseason as a team that was a little shaky, and so there's the opening. You know, is Toronto good enough to, to beat the Cavaliers now that the Cavaliers are, are, are not the well-oiled machine that they were last June? Um, there's a chance. They've got a shot um, because of, of some of the things you mentioned. You know, Ibaka presents, uh, a, a, you know, a real challenge because he's going to draw their bigs away from the basket and he can, you know, protect the rim at the other end so you can play small with him. If they want to play big and use Valanciunas, um you know, who's guarding him on the Cavaliers? Tristan Thompson? You know, Tristan Thompson's a, you know, a, a small ball center, uh, really more of a power forward. This is the first year he's played center full-time, and I think it's worn him down. So, you know, Valanciunas might be able to take advantage there. Then you've got, you know, another all-star backcourt in, in uh, Lowry and DeRozan. You know, who's Kyrie Irving guarding? Because Kyrie Irving doesn't really like guarding people. So, you know, there's they've got the, the kind of personnel um, – that can make life difficult for the Cavaliers if the Cavaliers aren't themselves. And yes, ordinarily, you when push comes to shove, you don't pick against LeBron. But I think 
this could be a, a really tough series for the Cavs, and I'm not ruling out an upset. Do you think which one goes further, the Cavs, uh, Raptors, or Celtics in Washington? I think Cavs, Raptors goes further. Really? Mm, okay. Fair enough. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. We're talking with Howard Beck of Bleacher Report. He's a senior NBA writer for Bleacher Report. Um, real quick, you have a new podcast, the forty, what, the full forty-eight? Yeah, yeah. Finally, we we uh, we've entered the podcasting game. Um, it's about time. Forty-eight. We're we're three episodes in. It's available on iTunes and other places where podcasts are found. Uh, and uh, it's myself and uh, my colleague Jordan Brenner. We're having a good time with it. Give me just a, a quick synopsis. Is anything game for you guys in terms of topics? Uh, is, it, is it more like X's and O's oriented? Give, give, give the people a little bit of a synopsis here. It's just a discussion. It's, you know, we're, we're bringing on, an, you know, we have an interview every week. So we had, you know, the commissioner Adam Silver on in week one. We had Brett Barry from NBA TV and Turner in week two. Uh, this past week, we had uh, Daryl Morey. And then, so we spend, you know, a good 20 to 30 minutes on the interview. And then the rest of that time, uh, we are talking about the interview uh, and, and what we might have learned um, and hitting whatever just the big issues of the week are. So not, not real X's and O oriented, more, more issue oriented, story oriented, trend oriented, um, just, a, just a, a good, fun NBA discussion. Speaking of stories, you came out and released this new uh, great feature piece on, on Bleacher Report and in the Bleacher Report magazine uh, called The Ghost of MJ or Ghost of the Goat, essentially. And uh, I thought it was interesting because you, you kind of laid out two points. And one point is that the idea that people are searching for the, the next MJ, that idea is finally dead. And I think that's interesting because it's right. How many people do you hear, you know, coming into college, these high school phenoms that go to college, the guys coming out of college? Nobody's ever really labeled that anymore. And I think not even, as you point out in the article, people aren't even looking for the next LeBron. But the Curry thing is pretty pretty interesting because, like you said in the article, Curry does something that everybody can do eventually. And there's a lot more to Curry than it's just shooting. But shooting is something that anybody at any level of basketball can kind of – kind of gravitate towards like oh he can shoot I could shoot just like that if I practice enough and practice enough again there's a lot more to Steph Curry than that but you know you use a lot of different voices in this article and a lot of different people you know you get opinions of David Falk and Kobe Bryant and and Paul Pierce and all over the league in terms of putting this thing together what was kind of the biggest challenge for you yeah I mean I think the biggest challenge was just that I, I felt like to do it right I had to get a lot of people like first I needed to get as many of the former next Michaels as I could get so uh I got Kobe I got Vince Carter Jerry Stackhouse Ron Harper Penny Hardaway um you know I had hopes to get LeBron um he was really the last significant guy to carry the label um but it just it didn't work out uh for for a variety of reasons um you know, try to get to Tracy McGrady, couldn't quite catch up with him. But, you know, but I got enough of these guys that you get a feel for, like, what it was like to carry that label and that burden. Um, but then we also wanted to kind of, you know, spin it forward to say, all right, well, if no one's being compared to MJ anymore or, or at least not being called a next MJ and the search is over finally, which, you know, thank God, because it was kind of a dumb thing in the first place, but it, it lasted for 25, 30 years. So, so who are kids trying to emulate the most? And, you know, when I asked guys like, you know, Penny Hardaway, who's a high school coach now, or Jerry Stackhouse, who's a D-league coach and has his own kids, and um, Paul Pierce, who's got his own kids, Ron Harper's got his own kids, everybody says uh, Curry or Kyrie. They all want to shoot like Curry. They all want to handle the ball and finish like Kyrie. And so there's, you know, there's always guys that, 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 that young uh, 
fans are going to try to emulate. So it's not so much that, although that was a big part of the Jordan legacy too, was you know the be like Mike. But it's it's you know it's fine that the kids want to play like a certain guy, and that these guys have an influence, and that even you know uh, you know high school college players are trying to do the things that they see their NBA heroes doing. But at least it's just more of a okay, that's a template I want to follow. That's that those are skills I want to learn, as opposed to you've got to be this guy. You have to be the next version of this guy. And no one is, is slapping a, a next Steph Curry label on anybody. No one's slapping a next LeBron label on anybody or a next Russell Westbrook. And that's good. That's healthy. We're in a healthier place, um, you know, in terms of the way we talk about the game uh, by not continuing you know, that, that mindless uh, search uh, for the next MJ. Because I don't think it was healthy. I don't think it was healthy as a discussion point or certainly for the people that got that label got thrown on. Um, and now what we have instead is, is a, a really broad variety of stars. You can find stars at all shapes and sizes doing all different things. There's no one model that is like, all right, this is the model for the era. And it felt a lot of, for a long time, like it, it like if you needed, uh, if you're looking for a star, it had to look something like Michael Jordan. And now it, it can look like James Harden or Steph Curry it can look like LeBron or Kevin Durant it can look like Joel Embiid. Um, it's it's all shapes and sizes, and maybe you know maybe people have finally been freed up to uh, to have that that variety. You know what's funny though, because there's a common thread with all the guys you just mentioned, and it's just skill at every position, and it's not just like shooting; it's passing, it's dribbling, it's handle, it's finishing, it's free throw shooting, it's it's you know off ball stuff. It, it's not just because like, MJ like not to rain on MJ's prey, but he was such a dominant player that you know he he changed the game one-on-one situations were or were significantly more uh efficient when he was handling the basketball not a, not a, even a question now you know you see guys and you see coaches you see the turn of the league value more skills than just being able to isolate on one guy and score like you know as much as I love Carmelo Anthony as a Syracuse guy, like that kind of basketball is sort of a dinosaur. And you look at the way DeMar DeRozan scores, it's a little outdated. And we, we, you talk about how he takes a lot from Michael and a lot from MJ, but and there, there are so few guys that are good in that mold anymore. Whereas the big superstars of the NBA, the Russell Westbrooks, the, again, the James Hardens, all these guys have more than just one transferable skill. And Michael had skills in spades. He was good at everything. But because the offense was so prevalent, you kind of focus on that and his way to dominate a game and say, you know what? Get out of the way. I'm taking over. Get at everybody clear out. This is my time. It's, it, I, you get some of that sometimes, but more, now it's more about, you know, moving the basketball. I mean, LeBron got killed for years in the NBA for be, for sometimes passing up the last shot because somebody else had a better look. You know, I feel like that yeah. the, the mindset of the NBA is changing, correct? I think that's true also. I mean, you will still hear that criticism at times, and people will say, oh, you know, if you're the superstar, that means you're supposed to take every big shot. But we, I think we as media and fans have moved away from that to an extent. That the, the, the game today, because it is more about ball movement and player movement and um, involving everyone and, you know, the whole good to great, you know, uh, mantra that the Spurs embody, you know, pass up the good shot for the great shot. That's more the, I think, the prevailing ethos in the NBA now. Yeah, there are exceptions. Uh, Russell Westbrook is an extraordinary, yes. uh, extraordinary yes. extreme exception, an extremely extraordinary exception. He's a, he's a massive exception. <laughs> um, but for the most part, that, that style, what we call hero ball, derisively referred to as hero ball, has faded away. And Jordan, you know, to an extent embodied the best of hero ball, 
but he also spawned all these imitators and you know with the whole generation of you know Iverson and Steve Francis and all these guys who, who just that they just wanted to isolate and just do their thing and it, it was you know that's why the NBA changed the rules which I think helped foster this this new different environment um, because they changed the rules they, they got you know they scrapped the illegal defense rules where you know guys were like sending four players off to one side of the court to drag their defenders with them so that Iverson could go one-on-one or somebody else could go one-on-one like that that was a, a bad era of NBA basketball and they cleaned it up by changing the rules and bringing in the defensive three seconds um, and I think that that's led directly to the game we have today which is a better game a more aesthetic game um, and uh, you know as a consequence I think it's also diminished the the need for or the value of a Jordan-esque player um, now obviously if it were the actual Michael Jordan he would be great in any era but I think it, that that changes heavily contributed to the uh, just the, the shifts in the game and the way it's played which as I say means that, that, that guys aren't being rewarded for trying to be a poor man's Michael Jordan real quickly we'll go out west and then we have a flight to catch I'm going to appreciate you taking some time uh, but uh, so go out west you have Houston San Antonio fantastic series just on paper again when it actually plays out I'm sure it'll be breathtaking but you have two MVP candidates going against each other James Harden and and uh, Kawhi Leonard you have a great supporting cast around James Harden you have an interesting I think supporting cast around Kawhi Leonard I I I my if gun to my head right I'm picking Houston just because I like how in a four-game series, like James Harden can be the best player twice in a series, and then maybe somebody like Eric Gordon and, or Ryan Anderson or some or Lou Williams or somebody on on Houston can kind of carry the scoring load. But I look at this the Spurs team, and again they're the, the, the zombie team, and they're always there. They're always they're, the, the, nothing's really changed. They're the same old Spurs, quote unquote. They're always going to be good. They're always going to win sixty games as long as like pops the head coach and spinning all the wheels and all that stuff. Um, in terms of James Harden versus Kawhi Leonard. I know that's the marquee matchup, but for me, it, I, I think it's more about the other guys around those two guys that can make an impact, no? I, I think there's tr- some truth to that, but this isn't quite like the Westbrook versus Harden duel that we saw in the first round. Uh, the Spurs really are about even, you know, I mean, the, they're always going to be the Spurs. So at their core, they want the ball to move. They want to pass up the good shots for the great shots, uh, as we know. Um, Kawhi has gotten more latitude than many Spurs have over the years to create, to, to go, uh, to, to isolate a little bit, to play more of a, of a one-on-one game or just to kind of create because he's earned that because he's really good at it and he, he's a very efficient scorer. Um, you know, of all the MVP candidates, I think he was the most efficient. Um, and so he... You know, he's not going to take a ton of shots. He's not a volume shooter. They're not going to base everything around him. So uh, the, the, for the Rockets, you know, they can't just say, well, let's just try to take advantage of, of you know, um, you know, or, or go, go hard at one guy. You know, they could go hard at Westbrook and he shoots 28%, and, and now you've got a huge advantage because nobody else is going to really hurt you because he dominates the ball. With the Spurs, and I, I was I had this conversation with, with some of the Rockets, it's like whack-a-mole with the Spurs. Like, you can try to to, to – to, design your defense around trying to contain Kawhi but LaMarcus Aldridge is still a very capable scorer and we saw in the first round that Tony Parker as old as he is with as miles he's got still a very capable scorer at times uh, he had a pretty good series um, they've got other ways they can go and Danny Green's a phenomenal three-point shooter and Ginobili still has his moments in spurts and so you you can't you know they're so solid 
and, and they're so good at what they do that you, you, you don't hone in on just one guy. So it is a challenge for the Rockets. Um, defense is not their calling card, as we know. They, they say that themselves outright. But their, their firepower is what makes them interesting, and that's going to make uh, this series interesting. And, and it'll also be you know, worth watching, like Kawhi. How soon do they put him on James Harden? You know, um, is that a move that they save for the fourth quarter, as they did from you know most of those regular season games, or do they they try to get him on him earlier? Um, and and what happens when when they do go to that move? Because they've got other guys who can score, as you mentioned, the Williams, Eric Gordon. They've got shooters. Uh, I you know I I yeah I, I don't again hate picking these things, but I, I kind of lean Rockets right now. And last thing, Warriors. Kevin Durant being healthy is going to matter at some point. It didn't matter in the first round, really. I don't think it matters, despite whoever wins the series between Utah and the Clippers. I think they're kind of interesting. They have similar traits, right? They always put a big man in the middle that you can draw out with with spreading the floor and running pick and rolling and getting to the rim easier. I don't think that's going to really matter. Now, when it comes down to the, the Western Conference Finals, obviously Durant's going to be a big part of this. If Durant's going to be there... And 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 Curry's fine, and, and Clay's fine, and Dre's got the same swagger as he always does. I mean, are, are we just looking at an inv- inevitable Golden State wins this whole thing, and and uh, and no matter what team is out there, it, it just doesn't matter. What Golden State's just it's their year this year. I've thought from the beginning, you know, and I've had no reason to change my mind that no, they're not beatable at full strength, and they look pretty close to full strength. Durant looks like he's he's you know going to be fine, and. Um, you know, I there's no one has the firepower and the versatility that they do, and so no, the, the Jazz or the Clippers, they're not stopping them. Um, whoever they meet in the conference finals, uh, Rockets or Spurs, I think will certainly give them a bigger challenge. But I don't see either of those teams beating them either. I think I think the the, the inevitability of the Warriors um, has not changed, and you know the only question really is going to be, you know, who are they taking out in five games in the, in the finals? Just I mean tactically. I don't even know what you do. I, I mean, just you can't you can't do you can't do anything unless you have just a like. The only way you could beat them is if you had a super. I think my my opinion, a super long versatile defensive team that could switch again. What basically what Oklahoma City did when they had Durant and they had him and they had Westbrook yeah. and Roberson, guys that yeah. were mobile that can switch, and nobody in the NBA anywhere has that mold. So again, regardless of what happens, I think we're all screwed here. I think we're all look. I'm not screwed. It's could probably be beautiful. They play beautiful basketball. It's not like it's a bad thing, but I just don't like. There's no tactical thing you could do other than hope and pray they don't hit threes and and life, I guess, works out. But that's if if your only shot is to hope and pray they don't make threes, then it's not going to be a good series. Yeah, no, they they are the ultimate example of a team that you're only beating uh, if if they're misfiring or they're or by misfortune. There is there has to be injuries involved. Or something else has to go horribly wrong for the Warriors. You're you're not beating them on your own accord because nobody has a talent to match them. And you know it's they are fun to watch. They are I think a very enjoyable team. So that's the plus. But yeah, the downside is that you know when things feel inevitable, it takes kind of the drama out of it. And but I think that's where we are. And look, we could all be proven wrong. Maybe they lose, but I don't see it happening. Yeah, health always matters. But the fact that we're writing them into the finals and giving them the the, the trophy already is that bad for basketball in your mind? I think it is overall. I mean, you know, there's an entertainment aspect of it that is good for the game, and um, there's you know the fact that they're just fun to watch is good for the game. But on balance, if you take suspense out of sports, if you if you if things feel inevitable. 
and if that inevitability plays out and 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 becomes the you know the actual outcome um after a while yeah people might start tuning out or it might just feel like hey the I won't say the game is rigged because it, 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 it sounds more suspect than it actually is, but just that, that things are predetermined. It doesn't, you know, sports are about drama. And as soon as you take that away, you've lost something. That is the unbelievable, the remarkable, the amazing Howard Beck of Bleacher Report. You can follow him on Twitter, at Howard Beck. Read all of his stuff. He has a new podcast called The Full 48. He's going to start dominating that sort of medium as well pretty soon, pretty shortly. Um, so, again, for, for all of us here at the station and for everybody listening anywhere, Howard, I always appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I know you, it was a little bit tough today to fit us in, but, uh, again, I appreciate everything and enjoy the playoffs, and although, again, we know the outcome of them. <laughs> always a pleasure. Enjoyed it, and, and thanks for having me. Howard's amazing, isn't he? He's just the best. I love Howard. I love talking with him. Every time I talk with Howard, I feel like I learn something new, something important, some different perspective on something that uh, makes me a smarter NBA fan. Because that's what it's really all about, making smarter fans. And, I, again, I appreciate Howard's time. He was literally in an airport terminal. It's not like he's at home on the couch, feet up on the couch, you know, sipping, you know, whatever he's got in, in his cup, whether it's, like, you know, green tea or something. I don't know. Howard's usually into the uh, something that's a little bit healthier healthier for you. I don't think soda's on the menu, so maybe green tea for Howard. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. But again, big shout out to Howard Beck. If you don't follow him on Twitter, do that already, at Howard Beck, H-O-W-A-R-D-B-E-C-K. Again, he's senior NBA writer for Bleacher Report. Game one starts this afternoon, Sunday, April 30th at the TD Garden. Tip-off is at 1 o'clock on ABC. Get ready. Get ready for that. I respectfully and politely disagree with Howard. I think Boston is going to win this series. That's going to do it for this episode of Celtics Meet, episode 207. I am Evan Valenti. If you want to follow me on Twitter, go do so. It's E-V-A-N-V-A-L-E-N-T-I. If you want to hear more from me, I might be back on this show. Might be back sooner rather than later back on this show. But if you want to hear more from me and my friends every single day, almost, on CLNS Radio, we have our own Celtics daily podcast called CLNS Roundtable. Celtics Roundtable on the CLNS Radio Network. Give us a follow over there at CLNS underscore Roundtable talking about every single aspect of the Celtics you could possibly think of. Join myself, Matthew Ignall, Jonathan Ignall, Jonathan Levy, Zaire, Eddie Santiago, and more. You could even be our next guest on Celtics Roundtable, so give us a follow there. But I want to thank Larry H. Russell and for providing me the outlet here on the show. Also, want to give a shout-out to our CEO of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, the executive producer, of course, being Larry H. Russell, for staff writer Eddie Santiago. Music was provided by Chuck Dietz and Steph Lagrato. And thank you guys for tuning in. I'm Evan Valenti. See you next Sunday. It'll be the first episode in May of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.